It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today we have the distinct pleasure and honor of having as our guest, Alexa Tarantino. award-winning jazz saxophonist, a woodwind doubler. She's a composer, an educator. Alexa, thank you for joining us here today on All That's Jazz. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let me ask you, maybe we can have a little bit of fun at the beginning of this. How does one get Alexified? <laughs> that's funny. Um, yes, so that's actually a term that a band director friend of mine, Jim Hegedus at Livingston High School in New Jersey, he coined that term. I came into work with his ensemble and his saxophones. I took them out for a little sectional rehearsal and brought them back in to play the piece we'd been working on. And um, he said, oh, they've been alexified. And so that was a, I got a kick out of that and that kind of stuck and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know it's part of your website and a part of your program and the way you present yourself. And I don't know if that's your philosophy, your mantra, or just uh, a good representation of your personality. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't really, I don't use it, use the term too much, you know, I, but I think it was, it was sort of a fun word that sort of distilled, I think, the energy sort of it's you know it almost sounds like electrified and that's sort of the type of energy I have I try to have when working with students when performing on stage I, I really strive to be sort of a, a, a light a warm light and a lot of energy for people and so that was a a nice piece of feedback to receive <laughs> it's great uh, it, it's kind of fun and it fits well for the uh, persona for yourself but I also thought maybe there was an application to the many facets of education that you're connected to in terms of uh, a philosophy or your approach to working with students and, and getting them, uh, pardon the expression, alexified or at least involved in your approach to education. It's less that it's my approach or to do with the word alexified and more just I, I'm trying to help them as much as possible on their journeys. So it's more like I, I'm always grateful to work with, with the students that I get to work with throughout the year in various areas and through various organizations. And I just try to help, help them however I can with what they need. So, you know, every student is different. Every school is different. Every program is different. And at the end of the day, the mission is really just to leave people feeling, you know, more empowered and more inspired than they were when you first arrived and more excited and engaged with the music and their instruments. Well, before we get into some of the aspects of not only your extraordinary performance talents, but also your educational pursuits, tell us a little bit about some of your history. Where did this all begin? I know that uh, you're originally from uh, West Hartford, Connecticut, but where does the influence of jazz come in to, that created your path to where you are today? 
Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Hartford, West Hartford. I was uh, yeah, born in Hartford, raised in West Hartford, and came through Hall High School. And, you know, I had always heard about people like Joel Fromm and Brad Meldow, who had come through the program, and Chris Allen, and um, Jimmy Green, of course, from the, the Hartford area, Connecticut area. So all those people were such great influences, and then some of them mentors to me, um, Chris and Jimmy specifically, you know, I, I was able to connect with a bunch as I was coming up as a, as a student and thinking about entering the field professionally. So it was a really great place to, to jumpstart my jazz education. So the public school system in West Hartford, it was such a coincidence that I ended up kind of being raised there. The public school system had an amazing public jazz education program. And music program. So we were exposed to great teachers, great educa- education, you know, methods and materials, the whole thing, and had many opportunities that were presented to us through via jazz or all state programs or whatever it was. And so I, at a certain point, I think third grade, attended the local high school concert with my parents just to go see it. And I saw the students playing. I saw a young, a young woman playing saxophone, and her name's Erica von Kleist, and she went on to be an amazing musician and saxophonist and doubler and educator. And uh, so from a very young age, I saw students, you know, doing this. And I think what it inspired me most was not only the self-expression, but also just the teamwork and the community-oriented nature of it. And that's kind of what struck me. So at that moment, I sort of tugged on my mom's jacket and said, that's what I want to do. And from then, I just I moved through the program and then went on to college and higher education and uh, moved to New York and all that good stuff. It's, the rest is history. So was there a lot of jazz in your household? Uh, were your parents musicians? Well, they were not musicians, although, you know, I had heard that my paternal grandmother was a pianist back in the day and I never got to meet her, but I... I knew she had played piano, and I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, she had played piano on the radio as a way of, of providing, assisting her family. And so that was something that always stuck with me. Um, but my mom, you know, she always played Ella Fitzgerald. She played, I don't know, they, they, loved, they loved kind of classic jazz records, but they were, they're not musicians, and they didn't necessarily know specifics about it. They just, I think, grew up with it themselves and passed that on. Why did you choose jazz as opposed to, let's say, classical or another genre? So it was really just because of the school system. That was, you know, how a lot of schools might have great football teams, great soccer teams. The school system that I was in line with, they had a great jazz program. And so that's what it was. It was, I think if you were in music, that was sort of, for the most part, the the route that you took because there were opportunities leading you that way. And... So that was why I think I followed the path, but I had, you know, at an early point, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the saxophone. I fell in love with the practicing and improving and playing a piece and making up rhythms and embellishing melodies and things like that. So who's the influence for you when it comes to saxophone? Was there a particular artist that you gravitated toward or maybe emulated Absolutely. One of my main influences on saxophone was Phil Woods. He was sort of a descendant of Charlie Parker, who, of course, is another main influence. Phil Woods was a guest 
at our high school when I was there and I was able to sort of guide him around the school and assist him throughout the day and, and really get an inside look at, you know, how he would warm up and how he would prepare for the gig and all that stuff. And I remember when I learned that he was on his way to come and visit as a guest artist, I listened to all of his records and I just became immediately in, uh, obsessed with his playing. Where did your first breakthrough come into play in terms of the performance level for yourself? Was there a specific event or something that launched your career, if you will? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, over the years, have been so fortunate to have so many mentors that have supported me through different events, through different programs. And maybe maybe one of the first occasions that felt like a breakthrough was when I was graduating from the Eastman School of Music around 2014. I remember at the Rochester Jazz Festival, Earth, Wind & Fire was the headlining group. And I had grown up listening to Earth, Wind & Fire a bunch because my, my parents were big fans. And I received a text from a sort of a mentor of mine who informed me that Philip Bailey was at the local coffee shop. And he encouraged me to go say hello and introduce myself. And um, the reason I was kind of able to do that was because I was a recipient of a scholarship at Eastman via this this mentor of mine. And, and Philip Bailey had been part of the fundraising. A performance that he had done had been part of the fundraising for this scholarship. So he was sort of peripherally involved in this scholarship. And... Uh, so I, I went into over to the coffee shop and I introduced myself and I said, you know, Mr. Bailey, I'm such a big fan, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much. I'm graduating and this scholarship made it possible and all this stuff. And he said, where's your horn? And I said, oh, it's at my apartment, you know, across the street. And he said, go get it. We have sound check in an hour. Hmm. And um, so I went over for sound check and we rehearsed a tune. He wanted to do a, you know, a jazz tune with me. And um, it was pretty incredible. Um, so he brought me on in the, you know, the headlining concert um, with Eastman Theater Kodak Hall was filled with people. And that was my first big deal um, concert. And he had me, he brought me out for the rest of the show. I sat with the, I stood with the horn section and tried to figure out their dance moves and picked up some of those horn lines that I remembered from the records. So that was a really uh, very sweet moment. Wow, that that's fantastic. And uh to have that mentorship uh, with somebody like Philip Bailey. You've had so many associations and collaborations as a musician, and I'm particularly drawn to a quote from Wynton Marsalis that is in some of your media, and it says that you are a one-woman wrecking crew, indomitable force of expression, education, and absolute excellence. That's a pretty uh, hefty thing to carry around, isn't it? Uh, or, or do you feel like... I own it, and yes, thank you, Mr. Marsalis, that's me. Uh, well, I don't know. I remember when he said that, I was kind of taken aback. But I try to live up to my own standards and my own expectations of myself. I try to, you know, live up to sort of the expectations, but also the encouragement of of people like Winton and, and other mentors that have helped me and, and helped to get me to where I am. And then I also try to live up to or uh, work towards just serving, you know, audiences and students as best I can. So all of those people are kind of, you know, what fuel my my work and my energy. And so I don't know. I'm grateful that he feels that way, but I'm, I'm always a work in progress. <laughs> 
So you recently played a gig with him or you've been on a tour with Winton? Yes. Yep. So we just returned um, from the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra's spring tour. I will, you know, occasionally uh, be part of the orchestra in the saxophone section. So, uh, well, we have a couple more dates this this month. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a pleasure to be a part of it whenever I'm offered. He's such a great mentor of young talent and, and moving them forward. And he really gives people that chance. He's so obviously embedded in the music. It's him completely inside and out. And it's the real deal for him. It's not put on as an act or it's not because people know him. He's just genuinely committed to the music and especially giving the opportunity for young people to move forward in the business. You got that right. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't be more grateful um, for his support, for Jazz at Lincoln Center's support. And I think it's, you know, even though we're in a world that's much different from 40, 50 years ago in the sort of, you know, then the sort of old school jazz scene that we hear and that we talk about, I think he has really kept it up as much as possible in that way through mentorship and apprenticeship and helping to shepherd people through different phases of their careers. So, and then of course, through the building of, of Jazz at Lincoln Center, just a very selfless and dedicated person to the next generation of musicians and also just to extending the life and spirit of the music. Tell me about how Sherry Miracle and the Diva Jazz Orchestra might have a part in your musical path as well. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought Sherry up. I talk about her in probably every interview that I do because she has also been she has also been such a champion for me. I first met her in high school because my teacher uh, was a friend of hers. And so I had the opportunity to see the Diva Jazz Orchestra play at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola at Jazz Lincoln Center when I was in high school. She sort of, I think she sort of kept an eye perhaps on me because, you know, when you're a band leader, and especially of an all-female big band, you, you keep an eye on who's coming up and who's around and who's playing. And so... I, I met her again at, at Eastman when her quintet was playing the jazz festival. So, you know, there are a lot of central themes. You know, the Rochester Jazz Festival was an amazing opportunity for me to meet people. And then Dizzy's Club has played an incredible role in my life over the years as well. But so she, we reconnected there at, at Eastman and she said, you know, we're, we're looking for a lead alto player. Will you come sort of audition? Can you play this gig? And so I remember practiced the music for a couple weeks nonstop and uh, got to the gig. And I think I practically had it memorized because I was so nervous. I didn't want to mess it up. And uh, we played three sets at the Deerhead Inn in Delaware Water Gap. And she said, OK, you're in the band. You got the gig. And that band is the reason that I was able to move to New York because Sherry was the music director for Maurice Hines, the, the tap dancer and entertainer and singer and actor. So he had a sort of a one-man show that he was doing that ended up touring sort of around the East Coast and landing um, off-Broadway in New York City for a few months. And that off-Broadway run was the reason why I was able to move to New York City with a paycheck and steady work. And um, I figured, you know, there was no better time to try moving to New York. And so I, I really owe that all to Sherry. And she, you know, continues to be an inspiration. She's an amazing educator. And... She is another person who 
is so, you know, just trying to take care of the music and move people along to, to ensure that the music lives on. Any aspirations on your part to develop your own all-female large jazz ensemble? Maybe. You know, I think, I think I love the legacy of that band, and I love the mentorship and the relationships that it creates. But, you know, I think as the times are changing and the music is changing, I love when, you know, groups are as, as diverse as possible and uh, where you can bring people from just all, all backgrounds and, and all walks of life and, and use music as the common ground. And so you never know, you know, never say never. But for the most part, I'm grateful for those experiences and to remain a, a part of them. And then who knows? Who knows what types of ensembles are coming up next down the pipeline? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you're still currently on the faculty of the uh, Lincoln Center Youth Education Programs. Yep. So I so I yep I work with with the education department for various events, various festivals or workshops that they they put on. And I know during the pandemic, you developed the Alexa approach to uh, further your educational opportunities virtually. And I don't know if those continue now in a classroom setting or is there still the virtual component connected to your programs? Yeah, it's um, it's a virtual program. So it's sort of uh, like a community of people that I work with on a monthly and weekly basis. And virtual, I found, you know, through the pandemic, of course, everybody transitioned over to virtual education, but it's also enabled me to connect with people that I wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know, around the country and around the world. And so um, it's been a great opportunity to work with new faces and help people along in their musical journeys however I can. You're also the the founder and director of the Rockport Jazz Workshop. Uh, Tell us about that. Sure, yeah. So that is a summer program that I founded in Rockport, Massachusetts, just north of Boston, in 2014. And it's partnership with Rockport Music, which is a nonprofit in the area, and the Rockport and Gloucester, Massachusetts Public Schools. And so we serve generally, I would say, about 60 to 120 students every summer in the Cape and the North Shore, Massachusetts area. And we bring in guest artists. We've actually had some some members of the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra come and give workshops. We've had Sherry Miracle. We've had Lauren Sevian. We've had Ulysses Owens Jr., all great friends and, and mentors of mine. And then, of course, a, a roster of faculty who are there every day working with the students, leading ensembles and theory classes and history classes and uh, performing. So it's it's been a great opportunity to help further jazz education in the North Shore. I was reading that as an educator, your teaching philosophy has an emphasis on learning by ear. Why learning by ear? Is there something about reading notes or charts that doesn't allow a student to flourish? So if, you know, the history of the music was originally passed down by ear, orally. And so the reason why I think teaching by ear at the beginning is so impactful is because it allows students to fully experience a piece or a melody or a rhythm without any type of distraction or without any like added aid. 
um, such as sheet music or whatever it might be. So um, when you learn something by rote or by ear, there's a lot of trial and error that goes into it. And so it might take several tries before you get the result that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even that experience, just that, that small moment in itself of having to try, you know, several times before getting to the, to the end result is, um, something that we're, you know, we're not as used to now with the way that technology and things have, have moved for us. So it's a, it's a really great, I think, testament just to learning and, and developing work ethic and developing your ear and developing your patience and developing your listening skills and technical skills. So that's how I like to start with students is so that they can kind of get the sound in their head first before thinking about the sight, looking at the music. But then, of course, you know, as you move on to more advanced settings, then um, sheet music can be necessary. But yeah. You are a consummate performer. Uh, your music is fantastic. I wanted to talk just a little bit about that. You have four albums to your credit as a leader? That's correct. And the most recent of which is Firefly. Yes. And that came out in 2021. But I I think you might have started recording that back in the midst of pandemic. Uh, Is that true? Yeah, that's right. We actually, I wrote the music during the first summer of the pandemic. So that was 2020. Then we recorded it fall 2020 and released it spring 21. And you have a number of great musicians on there, including someone who you uh, play quite a bit with, and that's Rudy Royston on drums. Yes, Uh, he is my go-to guy. I uh, was introduced to him through the record label, through Positone Records. He's been on each of my records for that label. I always try to snag him when I can, but he's so popular. He's out with everybody. He's always somewhere in the world doing amazing things. And so I'm grateful that he is on the record. He actually also wrote a piece for the record called Move of the Spirit. actually wrote a piece for the record which was very cool we had a great time it's really great work and uh, well done tell me about firefly why the why that for a title what what was the inspiration so i was visiting family during the pandemic and i sat outside late at night and i was thinking about what to do for this record and i heard all the i guess crickets and saw the fire. I was sitting sort of in front of this large sort of nature path. Um, So lots of trees, lots of birds, lots of animals. I guess the idea I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen lightning bugs or fireflies in so long that it kind of struck me. Um, I mean, living in Manhattan, you don't really see them too much. So it sort of struck me. And then I sort of, I just thought about the whole ecosystem and the analogy of everybody having their individual light to shine in the world and in their community and, you know, just coming together and everybody having their own strengths and their own, you know, weaknesses and things like that. And it was, you know, very broad, but um, it inspired me to 
write the original works from that record and uh, with that general theme in mind of sort of being unabashedly you at all times. <laughs> well, there's also the connection to nature within the tracks, the uh, violet sky, you have spiders dance. Were all of these things observations that you had in your solace or your moment to uh, connect to nature in uh, this pandemic mode? Yeah, so the, the original pieces that I wrote, I put them in order, almost like a suite, and there are six pieces, and I, I, I wrote them as if they were to coincide with periods of the day. So sort of morning and late morning and afternoon and early evening and nighttime. So like the Firefly Code sort of represents nighttime. sky is sunset. Yeah, there were there were just a lot of, you know, sort of uh, brainstorming sessions that I had just around time, around energy, around life, around, you know, as as anybody did, you know, during COVID. But I was grateful to have an outlet, you know, for, for expressing all those thoughts. And then sneaking in through the back door was Wayne Shorter. There are a couple of tracks <laughs> in there. How did those come about? I don't know. I mean, I love Wayne. I love Wayne's composition so much. He's definitely a major influence for me. And I think I wanted to play a ballad. I, and I thought about Iris. And then uh, Lady Day also came up in conversation. And so it was sort of like, why not? Well, and that's a great piece. It's written by uh, Wayne Shorter, and it's it, it reflective of Lady Day herself, uh, I would assume. Uh, that was the focus and direction of Billie Holiday. Right, and then, you know, we thought it was kind of funny because it had the word, obviously, yes, it's it's um, referencing Billie Holiday, but then the fact that, you know, most of the pieces on this record were based around time and day and night, that it was sort of like a play on words. We had a blast recording it. And what's yeah. next then? Do you have uh, any other projects that are uh, on the back burner or just around the corner? Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work on writing some new music. It usually takes me a little while. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful to be back up and running and traveling a bunch with Winton and with Cecile McLaurin-Salvant and with 
my own educational visits. And so between all of that, I it's hard for me to kind of get in the zone. And that's a, something I'm going to have to, to work on is um, making time for for composition amidst the rest of of the schedule. But yeah, I'm hoping to have some new music for everybody soon. How can our listeners learn more about you and your music, Alexa? Thanks for asking, Alan. Well, I'm always happy to hear from listeners and you can visit my website, alexatarantino.com. Always happy to hear from you. If you click the connect page, there's a little message you can send. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, just my first and last name, Alexa Tarantino. But my performance calendar is on my website, and I'd be honored to see anybody at any upcoming events. We appreciate the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you, Alexa, and learn more about you. And I, I wish you all the best for the future, and thank you for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Thank you so much, Alan. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you to everyone at All That's Jazz. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with jazz saxophonist, woodwind doubler, composer, and educator, Alexa Tarantino. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.